Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest. My brother, my main man, Ryan Levesque, is in the house. What's up, man? Darius, it's awesome to be here, man. We're looking forward to this conversation. Oh, you're officially the first person that's called me Dariush on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if you know how to pronounce your last name properly. I think we need to fact check that. Can we get the producers to fact check that, please? It's Smith. It's Smith. <laughs> the other white meat. No. <laughs> um, so uh, for listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Mission, we're, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And I will tell you this, you know... Um, Sometimes I have guests on the show where I don't know them that well, but I've gotten to know Ryan. We've gotten to spend a lot of time together. And man, is this guy full of greatness. And you've done so many cool things. So I'm, I'm so proud to have you here. Do you mind if I give um, a little bit of our background to, to the listeners around how we know one another? Yeah, I think that's great. So it was a dark night. No, I'm just messing around. <laughs> no. Uh, so Ryan and I, um, you know, we have some mutual friends. So I actually knew of Ryan through um, a mutual friend of ours, Justin Donald, uh, from Lifestyle Investor. And uh, he, he was a part of the, really the launch. You were, like, you were involved kind of behind the scenes helping Justin launch Lifestyle Investor. And, um, and so I had heard your name come up a lot. And then uh, I ended up joining Tiger 21. And across the tables, this dude with the Ask Method, Ask Method shirt on. And I'm like, who's that guy? <laughs> and and I, I'll tell you this, like, um, uh, this is my favorite thing about Ryan. Like we both have kind of the similar sense of humor <laughs> where, uh, I've, I'm trying to think of the technical word for it. We like to fuck with each other. Um, <laughs> and the moment I caught that on him, I was like, man, I like this guy. And, and since, since then we've gotten to know each other better, man. And it's, it's been really cool to learn about you and all the amazing things that you, that you've done and continue to do. And I'm really proud to have you as a friend and, and, and as well as to share what you're doing with the world on this show. So thanks for being here, man. Yeah, no, it's awesome to be here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the only reason why I join these groups like that you and I are a part of is purely for that reason alone. Like there's no other value. It's just to screw around with the other people in the room. Like that's that's kind of why I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to to be part of these uh, part of these communities. So, 
yeah, you, you, you read that book. Um, you read me, uh, read me like a book. You know, it's funny what you just said. Uh, you just made me think like, and so, you know, I'll go into your, your formal background in a second, but uh, you know, for you to say what you just said a moment ago is really interesting. And, and I think that a lot of people that are seeking to, to uh, like level up in their life, you know, I've kind of done the same thing, which I've spent, you know, right now with 2022, I spent the last 16 years being in these different like learning groups, meeting people like you and, and, you know, people that are really doing cool things. And, you know, what is it? Your network is your net worth. And you end up to your point, like you go to these groups because you want to learn something technical, like whether how to, how to be a better entrepreneur, how to be a better investor. And then you end up like making these, these building these relationships with interesting people that have similar interests. And I, and I kind of like yourself, I'm like, man, I spent so much more money after I graduated college on education than I actually did when I was like supposedly like forced to go learn, right? Um, so it's really interesting to hear, hear you to say that, especially since you're an Ivy League guy. Um, you know, I know we, we grew up at a time where it wasn't like disgusting to like go to college. You know, it was, it was still like fairly reasonable. But, right. you know, I, I do really believe that, that, you know, learning is a lifelong endeavor and, and you know, you're no, you have no shortage of that. Um, do you mind if I give your formal bio and then we're going to jump in? I want to talk about all the stuff, the cool things that you're working on right yeah, now. Yeah, sure, man. For sure. So uh, for those of you that don't know Ryan, and, and Ryan's kind of a known entity. It, it, I get to brag up to a lot of people how, yeah, I know Ryan. He's my boy. We talk shit to each other all the time. Um, but but you're the CEO of the Ask Method uh, company. Uh, you're an entrepreneur and you're number one bestselling author of the books Choose and Ask. A five-time Inc. 500 list entrepreneur. If you look to my left here, I got a little one of those plaques myself. Mm -hmm. So no slouch. Uh, over 250,000 entrepreneurs subscribe to his email newsletter offering business advice. And you've been featured in everything from Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, uh, USA Today, and so many more uh, of these great and amazing uh, outlets, media outlets. Additionally, you're the co-founder and investor in Bucket.io, uh, which is a leading quiz funnel software. And we're going to be talking about quiz funnels used by over 30 million people per year. So, man, dude, you're just uh, you're crushing it. You've been crushing it. You are crushing it. And um, I, I, I really am impressed with the business you built because I'm kind of new to the world of digital and, and I came from the world of analog. Mm. And, and, you know, dude, it is a fierce battle to mm. build a business. And you've built, you know, you've built over a $10 million business, right, in, in the Ask Method company. That, that that that's 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 a big deal, man. Eight, an eight-figure company in the digital world is, is really hard to do. So I'd love to, you know, kind of take us back because I mean I know your backstory, but your backstory is super interesting and in how you became an entrepreneur. But do you mind kind of like taking us back to, you know, when you're living in on ramen in New York City and 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 made you know what were you doing that got you into what you're doing now? Yeah, um, well that's awesome. Super appreciate that that warm introduction and uh, feeling is feeling is totally mutual. You know, I, I'm uh, I, I feel. Uh, I feel really lucky to, to class you as a friend and, um, you know, That's honored, to, honored to be, to be here and, and share a story. You're one of the good guys. Um, everyone listening to this and watching this knows that, but, um, you know, just, it doesn't hurt to, to say it again. Um, you know, so, so my story, uh, you know, I grew up working class first in my family, go to college, um, studied neuroscience and, uh, Asian studies at Brown. And I thought I was, I thought I went to Brown. I chose Brown um, over some of the other places I was looking at because uh, Brown really at the time had the best neuroscience program in the country. And I thought I was going to study, become, you know, the next great neuroscientist. Um, and my best friend at, um, at Brown actually went on to become a neurosurgeon at the Mayo Clinic. So my roommate, best friend. So he kind of did the whole path. Along the way, I kind of realized I, I was less interested in neuroscience, more fascinated with the brain and psychology and really how the 
you know, the brain operates in a, in, a, in a real world setting. So I became really fascinated with things like the psychology of fear, the psychology of language acquisition, the psychology of the capital markets. And so um, after uh, college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go into medicine. So um, I got a job uh, working on Wall Street and really became sort of fascinated and, in, in, um, you know, just the psychology of, of, of the markets. Um, at the same time, was really torn between that passion um, and this sort of other passion that I had for um, the Chinese language. I'd learned to speak, read and write Chinese nearly fluently. I'd lived in China um, for uh, some time while I was in college and really just had this dream that I wanted to live abroad. And uh, so working in, in New York, uh, my wife is in grad school and um, got a call one day from, from um, uh, um, my, my future boss who basically said, hey, um, do you want to come to China? Um, I need to know like now. <laughs> um, and I said, yes. And I said, um, if you buy me a little bit of time, my wife and I weren't married at the time. And uh, he said, well, if you want to bring your wife with you, you guys have to get married. There's no such thing as a fiance visa in, in China. Like you have to get married right away. So we had a, a shotgun wedding. We went, uh, went back to Brown where we met, um, got married on the courthouse steps of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And about uh, seven days later, we were on an airplane uh, living halfway across the world in China um, and uh, spent the better part of five years just um, really, really kind of like a cool, you know, fun part of time of our lives uh, traveling around Asia. My wife decided to get a PhD at HKU, Hong Kong University. So she was based in Hong Kong. I'm based in Shanghai. I'm traveling to places like India and Vietnam and Korea and Thailand and Malaysia, all across China, just like living this really cool life. And then in 2008, um, I walk into my office one day and uh, the Wall Street Journal Asia edition says um, AIG, which was the company that I was I was working for running running our expansion across China, um, AIG to file for bankruptcy. Wow. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh, crap, like, what does that mean? Right. Um, and uh, the writing was on the walls. Right. This was 2008, middle of that financial crisis. And along the way, I kind of had this like, you know, quarter life personal crisis where I said, like, All right, I've achieved sort of everything I thought I wanted to achieve professionally at that point in my life. And I felt really empty inside. I'm like, is this it? Like, really? Like, this is it? Sort of like I saw my boss who was head of uh, China and before that he was head of um, Asia Pacific for AIG. And I saw like, that would be my life. Like if I just continued on the career path that I was on and I just kept doing the right thing, saying the right things to the right people, like just building a career, that would be my life. And I thought to myself, like, I, I think I want more than that, right? And I, I know this is like what the show is all about. Like I, I feel like there's something bigger inside of me that I can do something greater with my with my you know precious time on this planet. I didn't know what that is, but I kind of took it as the sign from the universe to say, all right, I'm done. And literally that day, without overthinking it, I drafted up a resignation letter, printed it up, signed it, walked it into my boss's office, and I said, um, I'm leaving. Two weeks notice. Wait, and you you were in China when you did this? In China, and I had no plans. I had no other job. I had nothing. No way. Nothing. And the reason I gave my boss at the time was just a viable excuse. I said, listen, my wife and I, she's in Hong Kong. I'm in Shanghai. It's too hard for us to be like seeing each other on the weekends. Like we want to be together. Like it's just insanity what we're trying to do. So I just want to be with her and we're going to figure out what our next move is. And because she was in Hong Kong, I could, I could be with her as a, as a husband of a, of a student in Hong Kong. So I have the ability to do that. Um, and so donated everything I owned to charity, except for what I could fit in a suitcase, moved into student housing with my wife. We're in our like mid to late twenties at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like started over again and, uh, and then started our first business, wow. um, in a tiny little 400 square foot apartment. Um, what, and, what was your wife studying at, at, at Hong Kong university? 
because she's studying history. So, so her background at Brown, she double majored at Brown in uh, architectural studies and art history. And then she did her master's at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian in decorative arts, um, mm -hmm. which is part of Parsons School of Design, which I know you and I have had a conversation about that. And mm -hmm. then um, the only uh, English speaking sort of graduate level program in Asia is in Hong Kong. There may be one or two in Singapore now, but like, you know, China, Japan, Korea, it's all in the sort of native, you know, language, but you can pursue an English in, uh, in Hong Kong. So she pursued a uh, PhD in history, studying the Manila galleon trade, the trade between the Philippines, Spain, and Mexico in uh, the colonial era, um, which is just a, you know, it's esoteric topic, but what yeah. she was really passionate about. Um, so, so, yeah. so let me ask you a question. So do you speak, you speak pretty good Chinese then? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And how's your, is your wife speak Chinese? No, she doesn't speak at all. Yeah. She's oh. Mexican So she moved, when I moved to China, like we got on an airplane and I had been like, I'd been multiple times. I, I lived there for about three or four months. Like I'd done multiple business trips there. She had never been literally, it was a leap of faith for her. Like, all right, I've never been, but like, I'm just going to, you know, I trust you, Ryan. Let's, let's do this. I'm going to move here for five years of my life. And I think when she got there, it was a little bit of shell shock because like it is very much like at the time, this was 2004, 2005. And that's way different. Time. Yeah, it's a very different place. Um, you know, where are we like 18 years later um, than, uh, than it was? Uh, no, eight years later. Excuse me. Let me think about this. 18 years later. 18 years? Holy yeah, 18, no yeah. way. No yeah. way. <laughs> dude, listen, I, I went to do the math in my head. That was like eight. That was crazy. 18 I, years ago. Dude, I, I went to China in, oh, in 98 when I was 20 years old, which was 24 <laughs> years ago. And, what the hell, man? Like, that can't what, be real. Like, I just did the math. I'm like, no, no, no. There's no way. I'm like, no, no. My son's like 10 years old. No, yeah. It was yeah. like almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Different world. Years, two years ago that I was first in China. Yeah. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply & Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So the, re- the reason I asked was like my, some, uh, and I have a couple of uh, funny things to say about this. So my, um, my mom and my mom, who's American, spoke Farsi, and my dad spoke Farsi. So whenever the parents, our parents, wanted to talk shit, they would just yeah. start talking, speaking in Farsi because the kids yeah. didn't know it. So I was like, "Oh, do you and your wife get to like talk shit in in Mandarin to each other?" And like, no, when you- I'll tell you, the local Chinese get get freaked out when it's uh, this white guy. You know, when you, someone cuts you in line, it's like you go to this old lady. Oh, you talk, you talk, and they're like, "What the hell?" Which is like, "What the hell are you doing cutting me in line?" You know, versus like they just you know step in front of you. It's this white guy that does this. No, that's that a stupid human trick. Just fool the Chinese over the phone, have a phone conversation with someone, and be like, yeah, yeah, we'll meet on the side of the road. And then, like, they're looking around for, like, be like yeah, I'll, I'll be in a red shirt, you know? And they're looking around, they're looking for, like, the Chinese guy in the red shirt, and, like, where are you? Where are you? It's like, uh, so you know my wife my wife who's like very fair skinned is half mexican so she didn't right. look it though but she speaks like perfect spanish i know i know and, and i mean perfect with like perfect accent and she just i watch her mind fuck people all the time because they're like why is this white woman like it just, you know it doesn't it doesn't add up and so it's funny as jordan harbinger was on the show and he speaks fluent chinese mm. and he and he literally said the same thing that you just said that he like loves like going to restaurants and fucking with people and like speaking the chinese because they don't expect it from them you know it's, to- it's totally unexpected you know it's um yeah and uh, i feel like there are a lot more people now that um that that have studied mandarin and can speak mandarin but you know, when I first studied, whenever it was 20 something years ago, um, you know, it, for many locals, it was the first time they, that, they'd ever see a Byron, like a white skinned person, a light skinned person who could speak Mandarin. And for them, it was just like, you know, they, they just couldn't get their mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so you said, so you, so you did, you put, you did, you pulled the classic entrepreneur move. You're like, I'm out. I'm starting no. my own. I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, kind of, you know, and I, feel, I don't want to I don't mean that in a disres- disrespectful way, because I think, it's a, you know, for some people, it's absolutely the right path. But for me, in my heart, like I realize, like I'm a creator, like that's what I love. Yeah. You know, like for me, I love creating things like I just love inventing things. I just love creating things. And I just felt like I was a racehorse with the brakes on. And it didn't matter yeah. what. I was doing. It just felt like I had so much more that I could give, so much more. And and I and I in my first book, it's embarrassing to read it now, but my first book I, I published at the um, 
insistence of my editor, a letter, a personal private letter that I wrote to my mom that I'd never shared with anybody else in the world ever. And in a conversation with my editor, I, I just had this conversation and I said, yeah, I wrote this letter to my mom when I was at like the kind of the deepest, darkest depths of kind of where I was at. And I just felt like I had to pour everything out and I had to just share it with somebody. And I thought, you know, my mom was the only person that would actually, you know, you know, give a shit and actually read it. Um, and I told her, she's like, I need to see the letter. And I was like, I've never shared this with anybody. I don't even know if I have it anymore. Like I, you know, like I don't have a physical copy. I like, you know, it was a Word doc and an email. And I found the email that I had sent to my mom. And this was like, you know, 10 years after I'd written it. And the what I wrote in that letter is I said, you know, I feel like as a child and as a young adult, I had this fire inside of me. And that fire every year was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, where I was in my mid-20s when I had this sort of quarter-life crisis, I felt like it was, you know, when you watch the fire in the fireplace and there's just like that one last ember, just that yeah. one last sort of ember. And I said, like, that's where I feel like where I am right now. And if I don't do something now, that fire is going to be out forever. And it was in that moment that I kind of realized that I was going to start making moves and start exploring different opportunities. And that's kind of where we started exploring building and, 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 you know, a digital business. You know, we had certain constraints that we wanted to work around. We wanted a business that would allow us to travel. It was location independent. We could live and move anywhere in the world. Um, we didn't want to have at that time, like a physical presence or location. We didn't want to have an office and we didn't want to have, you know, like a, a factory or a manufacturing facility or anything like that. We wanted a sort of new economy style business. And we, because we started it in Hong Kong, it almost sort of was a global business by sort of necessity. Um, and, um, you know, the first business that we went into, the first market was like a totally random thing. It's going to sound so random, um, but it was actually a thing. It was the Scrabble tile jewelry market, um, which is like <laughs> making jewelry using Scrabble tiles and origami paper. And my wife was the one who like stumbled upon this thing. It was like this craze back in 2007, 2008, sort of like Beanie Babies. Like it just kind of like took okay. over. And she's like, I think we can make a business around it. It's like we have access to all this origami paper in Asia. We have access to inexpensive labor in southern China. We can manufacture this jewelry. We can you know, import it into the United States and we can do really, really well. And we kind of and I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. Like it's going to tie us here. Like I don't want to live in, in you know, Guangdong province. I want to be able to just travel the world. So we shut the door on that idea. And then a few weeks later, she came back and she said, that Scrabble tile thing is like taking over. And she said, take a look at this woman, what she's doing. And uh, she'd come across this website that was a brand new website at the time. It's a huge website now. Uh, we all know it. It's called Etsy.com. But at the time, Etsy was like a startup. It was just a wow. nothing you know, business. But my wife is always kind of like ahead of the curve on, on these things. And so she found this website. She's like, look, this woman, she's not selling the jewelry on her, on her Etsy store. She's selling tutorials on how to make the jewelry. And the cool thing about Etsy, like eBay, is you can see a seller's sales history. Mm -hmm. So you can see that she was, make, she was selling something like 25 to 30 uh, uh, copies a day of this like $40 tutorial. And like I did the math and I'm like, holy smokes, this woman is making like $1,000 a day selling eBooks, teaching people how to make this, this jewelry. And so we bought the tutorial and it was like literally a Word doc. Like it wasn't even a PDF. It was literally yeah. a Word doc. And my wife was like, this is garbage. I can do a better job. Um, and so... Tylene learned how to make the jewelry and she created a better tutorial on how to make it. We started selling it before we know it. Like we're making, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month 
teaching people how to make Scrabble tile jewelry. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we're going to get rich. Like but the trajectory was like, you know, this is amazing. Like how, how hard could it be? Um, and then I learned the hard lesson that um, there are evergreen markets and there are fad markets. And that was totally a fad. And quite literally, like within a month, um, the sales dropped down to zero. The market was saturated. It was like, you know, Pokemon Go or Beanie Babies, like these things like take off and then they drop right. the side of a cliff. So it went to nothing. And then at this point, we kind of were in a little bit of trouble because um, we started running out of money. Um, and we're living in Hong Kong, one of the most expensive cities in the, in the world. And, um, we said, all right, what are we going to do now? And, uh, my wife, um, said, well, let me finish the program and then we'll move back to the States. And she got a job in Brownsville, Texas. And have you ever been to Brownsville? Have you been down there? Is that near, um, what's it called? Uh, where are they at? South, South Padre, Padre Island? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. The, it's the southernmost major city in Texas, New right Mexico. across the Mexico border. Yeah. Uh, a major million plus person Mexican city called Matamoros. Um, and it's a major trade route. Um, but it is quite literally um, the poorest zip code in the contiguous United States. Yeah. I mean, right. it's it's quite literally like, you know, dirt floors and houses, homes with no electricity. Um, um, you know, the closest Barnes and Noble is like 400 miles away. Like it's just. Wow. You know, my son would be, my son would be so sad. What, yeah. <laughs> what, so, what? so she moved there and she gets a job as the museum curator at the Brownsville uh, Historical okay. Association, which is a, it's a really important historical um, presence because a lot of the trade and battles fought between the United States and Mexico took place there. So there's, there's mm. a lot of historic um, importance of, of it, but it's, 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 a, it's a difficult place. If you didn't grow up there, it's a difficult place to, to, to live. So, so we moved there and immediately we started over. We had an apartment with bars on the windows, mattresses, a mattress on the floor, um, we opened up a bank account. We had no furniture. And so the bank, <clears throat> when you open up the bank account gave, you, you know, those like chairs that you sit in and, on the side of a soccer game. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know so they're like, well, this is the gift for opening up the account. And my wife, who's like a really good negotiator. She's like, we need two. two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they're like, deal. That was our living room furniture. We literally wow. had two of those chairs. We'd eat with plates on our laps, a mattress on the floor. And I had a laptop that I bought from Best Buy online for $425. And that's how we started our first business. And, you know, the Scrabble thing went to nothing. We went into another market, um, the orchid care market. Again, I know it sounds random, but the story there is I bought a bunch of orchids for Tylene when we lived in China. And like two weeks later, they all died. And so when I was kind of making a list of like all the different business ideas, I thought, well, I, I can't be the only idiot that like can't keep these things alive. So we started researching the market, realizing that it was there was some promise there. Um, we wrote a book on the topic that sold over 100,000 copies. Um, again, we knew nothing about orchids. We were just students. Like we're just learners helping other learners, right? right like right. we're on this journey and doing the research and then helping people. And what I realized in that moment is that it's far more valuable to become an expert in orchid growers than it is to become an expert in orchids. And that's kind of been a theme in every mm. market that we've gone into, that we've become specialists and experts in the market itself not about the subject. And what we realized that it wasn't about using technical jargon or having PhD level knowledge on the topic. It was understanding the pains and the challenges and the frustrations that people run through and being able to communicate back to them in a language that resonates with them, where they can have that reaction like, oh my gosh, it's like, you know exactly what's going on in my life. Like, how do you know this so much? And so that kind of became a theme. And we grew that business to from nothing to $25,000 a month within a, within a few months. Um, over a million dollars a year within a few years. And we went into wow. just all sorts of different markets. We went into the the, uh, the memory market, uh, which was to make my parents happy using my like neuroscience background and doing something with the, my college degree, um, to fish oil supplements, to golf and tennis. And, 
And we went into 23 different markets, um, all sorts of different niches, using what's now come to be known as the ask method process. And um, along the way, partnered with a few big businesses to implement this in much bigger companies. That led to um, a few different exits, um, one of which was a, a, a nine-figure exit to NBC um, in the golf market. Um, another one was a, was a nine-figure exit to PayPal in the business funding market. And, and kind of what we developed was this methodology that's come to be known as um, an Ask Method quiz funnel whereby when someone lands on your website, you begin by asking a series of questions in a very intentional and specific way so that you can customize the messaging and the content and the marketing that you present to somebody hmm. um, based on their answers. And, um, you know, using this sort of methodology that we first, you know, learned how to implement ourselves and then partnered with dozens of big companies, we've since built that, you mentioned, five-time Inc. 5000 education company, the Ask Method company, where we teach this all day, every day and a technology company called Bucket, um, where we've had over 12,000 of these quiz funnels now built on our technology platform. Nice. Um, so, you know, we kind of started um, in a bootstrap way. We didn't raise money. We funded everything ourselves. So this is a, definitely a bootstrap story. Um, we had our ramen noodle, noodle and bologna sandwich days, you know, mattress on the floor, Brownsville, Texas, bars on the windows. I'd drive my wife to work, one car, we'd work at nights. We'd go to the post office and drop off our books that we had sold that day. We'd sell hundreds of books a day, literally crates of boxes, dropping it off at the Brownsville post office to ship them around the world. Um, that was our early start. And since then, we built a company that it was approaching 100 employees. Um, it is a global distributed team meaning that we don't have a physical office. We, we built the business intentionally so we can travel the world and do whatever we want. Um, we've got team members quite literally in every continent except for Antarctica um, who are on the team right now. And, um, you know, just very excited about the future and um, kind of what comes next. Oh, man, I love that story. I have a question for you. Um, <clears throat> well, I have two questions. My first question is... Going back to when you started working with the, these brands, when you said nine-figure exit, was that the client, or, or you, or you guys were part of that? Tell me. Yeah. About so, that. so the way that I, my model at that point was a, um, it was a three-part model, and it was a model where I would get paid an upfront fee for designing, constructing, architecting one of these sort of marketing, um, you know, apparatuses, one of these marketing um, uh, machines, um, and I would pay, get paid a, a monthly retainer. Um, and I would have a success participation fee, which most typically was a 5% five um, gross revenue uh, royalty on all revenue generated. Um, every single one of those deals that I did also had an exit clause, um, a separation clause. So that way, in the event of an exit, in the event of a sale, um, I would get paid a multiple of what that royalty was um, based on a, a number of months and the sort of average revenue generated over a sort of most recent six month period. Um, so on those exits, I got a nice little payout. It wasn't, you know, tens of millions of dollars, but it was an, it was a nice um, payout. Um, and the royalty payments, this model became very lucrative. I called it a 55-5 model. I'd get paid $50,000 up front to start the project. $5,000 a month retainer, which was literally for a, a, a monthly call. So it was really a $5,000 an hour rate is really what I kind of, you know, worked my way into. So it was a one hour call for $5,000 an hour. Um, and then the thing that I was really interested in was the 5% royalty. 
And I'd have royalty payments on some of these projects that would be small, you know, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. Um, but I had 20, 25 businesses that I was working with at any given time. So the numbers added up. Um, but my highest royalty payments were 40, 50, 60,000 dollars a month on a wow. single funnel. So, you know, just like a music artist or a, a musician or a um, you know, an actor or actress, I, I wanted a way that I could get paid a residual income based on the work that that I was doing at that time. And even to this day, in some cases, 10 years after building these funnels, I still get the mailbox money. I still get the the royalty payments, you know, just automatically deposited um, every single month. So um, I say that because there's a huge opportunity for people to use this model. So if you don't have a, a desire to like build your own big company, like you want to be a one man band and you want to make a million dollars a year. I was making over a million dollars a year with no employees doing this one thing. Wow. And it can be very lucrative for anybody who wants to do that. Um, and it's one of the things that we teach people how to do, in fact, is how to use this model, building a quiz funnel for other businesses and use it to build your own business where you're getting paid these royalties, these, this revenue share on the back end without having to build out your own infrastructure and sort of product mix. So, so I know you guys work with a lot of like digital entrepreneurs. So I want, uh, do you mind if we use my current project as a case study? Just yeah, so absolutely. We, Let's do I, it. I, I'd love to, to, to do this really quickly. So I, uh, for listeners know that I have this scale map method and we do a boot camp. And by the way, I bounced all this stuff off Ryan for like months and months. So he's given yeah. me tons of great input on how to build this this entrepreneurial like ecosystem um and so we do a boot camp and then and then from that there's opportunities to work with us in other ways right what i found though is and, and this is just maybe this is a objection you might hear sometimes is there's so much noise and you got the facebook algorithms broken you know because of all this the, the thing that happened on ios 14 you know there's so much competition in the digital space right now and i'm seeing right now that's like man my cost for client acquisitions like not it doesn't even work sometimes right so we're, we're having to go and play with it a lot so if you're in my shoes where you're like buying facebook ads trying to you know trying out these different messaging to clients um to see what resonates to get them to take action to work with us mm. how would someone like us use an, like the ask method or a quiz funnel to optimize or to make our to make the business a better business yeah so let's let's talk about that for a minute um so i know we spent a lot of time on so the story how we got to where we are here today uh, i'm going to switch gears and i'm going to geek out a little bit and, and talk sort of technically and, and tactically actually how you put this into practice so um first things first ios 14.5 2021 apple made the decision to no longer allow third-party cookies on its operating system and basically overnight cut facebook off at the knees Facebook for years had relied on all of the third-party data shared by every website on the planet who has the Facebook pixel installed on their website, feed that data back to Facebook to give you a rich data profile that you can target very, very accurately ideal customers to your website. Well, fast forward here to today. Um, we're a year plus after that decision, and Facebook is a shell of what it once was. Yeah. Shell and in order to succeed in this new paradigm, what, what, what when many people are calling the third iteration of the internet, this sort of Web 3.0, this new era of the internet, where we've moved away from reliance on third-party data to having your own first and zero-party data strategy. What does that mean? Third-party data, other people's data that you're using to inform your advertising. First-party data is data that you track in the background via like Google Analytics of how people browse on your website, but it's not explicit and it's not volunteered information. It's sort of sort of tracking in the background. Zero party data is a strategy where you're relying on information that's being explicitly and voluntarily shared with you on your website when people visit. 
i.e. asking them questions when they land on your website and building your strategy around the answers people give you. That is the most reliable data. It is the most uh, uh, accurate form of information. And when you do it well and do it right and you have the right technology installed on your website, you can then feed that information back to Facebook via something called the conversion API. And when you do that, Facebook can say, ah, so all those people who landed on your website and answered this assessment in the following way, we can find you more people like that because oh. you explicitly shared that information back with Facebook. Now, I won't get too technical about browser side and server side, how you set all this up, but this is one of the reasons why this Ask Method Quiz Funnel strategy is number one, we've been, I think in many ways, what our clients have been doing has been ahead of the curve, almost waiting for this very moment in time. Our businesses and the businesses that are on our platform are crushing it right now. Because for everybody else, if you're not using the conversion API, Facebook has actually said that your advertising costs, expect them to be three to four times higher than what they were prior to the iOS 14. They've come out and said it, like they're not hiding from this fact. Wow. And so what it means is that if you want to play in this new game, it's like the rules have changed, right? You know, this is, we, we went from two-hand touch football to tackle football. And so if you don't want to play tackle football, get off the field, close your business down, stop advertising online. But if you want to play this new game, where the rules have changed, you must have a zero-party data strategy. So for your business, for example, what I would advocate very strongly is that your top-of-funnel strategy is you're driving ads to some form of an assessment. This assessment could be something along the lines of, you know, what's your company's culture score? Or what's your company's growth level? There are five stages of growth that every company goes through. And based on your business and where you are right now, that's going to dictate the next moves that you should make over the next three to six months. Most people are doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. But if you take a moment to answer a few simple questions, we can identify what stage of growth you're at right now and recommend the best next steps for you. Now, that's an incredibly compelling promise, right? If you're a business owner, that's like very valuable. You're not selling a one-size-fits-all ebook that you're asking everybody to download. You're saying, I'm going to give you a personalized plan. Now, when you do that, a couple things happens. You ask those questions on your website. You gather all that incredibly valuable zero-party data. You can feed that data back to Facebook and say, hey, the people who answered my assessment like this who are making at least $100,000 a month, who have at least 50 employees, who have these specific problems, yeah, find me more people like that. And wow. Facebook can do that because you're feeding that information back. So that's the first part of the equation. Next part of the equation, let's say the next step after that assessment is for maybe to invite a certain segment of those people to get on the phone with you or your sales team, right? Well, you might not want to get invite everybody to get on the phone, you might want to triage those leads. This strategy also enables you to do real-time lead scoring. So you can funnel all the best quality leads based on the answers to that assessment right to a phone call invitation, maybe middle quality leads to like a webinar, like an educational informational piece. And then the low quality leads, maybe just add them to your email list in a nurture sequence. Maybe they're not ready to buy right now. Maybe they're not big mm -hmm. enough. Maybe they don't have the problems that you can actually help people solve. So then you get on the phone with someone. How much more effective is it to have 15 data points about someone that you can have an intelligent conversation instead of wasting that first phone call with, tell me a little bit about your business. Right. You that first step. So it gives you so much leverage. Now I could go so much deeper than this, but the, that's kind of like the practical use case. But the other net effect is number one, you can cut your advertising costs. I know this is going to be a bold statement when I say this, but we have a ton of data on this to back this up by anywhere from 30 to 90% on your lead acquisition. Wow. So in other words, if you're spending $5 a lead, imagine spending less than a dollar per lead. 
This is these are real numbers, and there's a lot of layers to why that's true. Part of it is the data conversation that we just had. Part of it is the fact that when you have an engaging, interactive piece of content like this, people will share their results. They'll say, "Oh, I'm I'm stage three. I'm stage four. You're stage four, really?" And there'll be discussions on social media about this. When you do that, Facebook, for example, will reward you as a marketer. They'll expand your reach because your stuff is getting so much engagement. They'll expand the reach of your organic content. If you're a paid advertiser, they'll drop down your CPM, your cost per thousand to advertise because you are getting so much more engagement, so many more comments, likes, shares on the platform. And every platform is the same. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, it doesn't matter what platform you're using. They're all, they all operate in the same way. So you drive down your advertising cost by 30 to 90%. But then on the flip side, you're able to double to triple your sales conversion. Why is that? Because instead of communicating with everybody in a one-size-fits-all way, you can customize your content, your copy. You can customize your messaging based on what someone answers in the quiz. So you can show like a relevant case study, for example. Like if you know enough about someone, you could pick from your existing clients and past clients the perfect client case study to put in front of someone based on their specific circumstances. In the same way that if you said, hey, Ryan, like tell me about, um, tell me about an example of a quiz. In my mental Rolodex, I have probably two to 300 quizzes that I can think of right now. But if you say, tell me an example of someone who is in the financial space who used a quiz to get more clients. Ah, I can think of Jordan. Jordan is a financial planner. He's in Chicago. He uses a quiz funnel to identify how ready are you for retirement? Take this quiz to find out what your biggest, what your retirement readiness score is. So he helps people identify how ready they are for retirement based on that information. He gets on the phone with them and uses that assessment as the discussion point for what the game plan is to work with that client. So you can see, like, if you're a financial planner yeah. listening to this right now, you're like, oh, my gosh, I, the light bulb has clicked. If you're an e-commerce seller and you're like, wait, what about my business? I sell, like, you know, physical iPhone cases to people. How do I use a quiz for me? You're not connecting as much. So that's just a perfect example of how you can use a quiz funnel as an automated conversation that you would otherwise have one-on-one -on -one with people in the real world, you can have that same conversation. Like if, if I said, hey, you know, Darius, I hear you help businesses. I've got a business. Like, what should I do? You're not going to say like, oh, you should do this. You're going to begin by doing what? Ask Asking me questions. Yeah. yeah. So whatever that conversation you would have one-on-one -on -one with someone, imagine your website being able to have that conversation with a thousand people a day, 24-7, 365 days a year on autopilot. That's what this strategy is. And this is, these are some of the reasons why it's so powerful. Wow. So iOS update is a bit, was, man, you just, I, I, I'm so pissed we're out of time. <laughs> I want to talk to you some more. Like you just blew my mind. Um, man, I was going to, well, look, give me the quick and dirty here. You're a certified AFOL adult fan of Lego. I, I, by the way, I hung out with Victoria LeBalm and I know that she worked with you on this and you're in her book. Can you just tell our audience what that means? And then, and then I know you got to run. Yeah. So, um, you know, huge Lego fan when I was a kid, right? Loved, loved Lego. Like we called it, I was a Lego maniac is what they called it in the eighties. I was a super fan of Lego. Um, but we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So I got one Lego set a year for my birthday. That was like my big annual gift was a Lego set. And I cherished that Lego set. It was like the best thing that happened to me all year. So fast forward when I became an adult and my kids were, I have two boys, um, when they're sort of of age, I finally said, all right, I've got money now. What am I going to spend this money on? Um, and of course, you know, it's Lego. So I don't know. We have 
hundred plus Lego sets in our house, you know, constructed um, major, major sets. And so some of my favorite time uh, spent with our boys has been building, you know, the Harry Potter castle, almost 7,000, you know, piece uh, set took us months to build that thing together when they were just, um, you know, um, a few years old, they weren't there, weren't that old. Um, so adult fan of Lego, there's K-Foles, kids fan, kid fans of Lego, A-Foles, adult fans of Lego. And I'll tell you one of the highlights of my career was keynoting the single largest Lego convention in the United States, Brickfest Live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, there were over 50,000 people who attended that, that, that event. And I was able to tell my story of how, as a kid, super fan of Lego, I was a fan of Lego like all the way through, even as a teenager. And I remember at that time, I had to hide it. Like at a time where like it was not cool, like it was no longer cool. You know, 15, 16, 17 years old. Like I'm still, I had Lego underneath my bed and I couldn't tell anybody about it. I couldn't even tell my parents. I was so embarrassed because of like, why am I into this? Like, I'm just so into this. And I told this story and I can't tell you how many parents came up to me and said, thank you for sharing this because it was really an opportunity to be vulnerable and really share kind of, you know, what was really passionate about myself. And, and, and the story there, the takeaway is that we all have these things about ourselves that we hide from the world, that we're afraid to put out there, that we think, ah, this is really weird. Like, this isn't cool. Like, this is whatever. And the message that I shared was that thing that you're hiding right now could be the thing that transforms your career, transforms your life, and allows you to live that authentic, great story, your true greatness by putting it out there. And it was the first time I'd ever told that story. And I shared it to 50,000 people who were at BrickFest Live. And it was one of the most transformational experiences of my life. So adult fan of Lego. I'm a super fan. Um, and if you want to come to my house and um, build some Lego, you're, you're welcome to do so anytime. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Um, so I know, I know you got to run your, yes. and, and I want to keep you on time. Yeah. Um, why don't we, um, I know that we want to, you, you, you so graciously have offered to, you know, give our listeners a little something, something from, yes. from, from you guys. So would you mind uh, maybe how can they hook up with you if they want to learn more? What, what's the hookup that our, our listeners are getting? And uh, got a hookup. We absolutely, we have a hookup. So listen, um, you know, if you're watching this right now, or listening to this, uh, your timing is, is perfect. And here's the reason why. If you have any interest, curiosity on how to set up one of these quiz funnels in your business, once a year, we do a, a week long quiz funnel workshop. And we go through the process step-by-step. Step. We work with you to come up with um, what your topic is going to be, what uh, your questions are going to be in your quiz, um, how to come up with a compelling hook, um, how to create a quiz funnel that goes viral that people actually share with other people. Um, if you're like me and you're a visual person and you like to actually see examples, like real examples of what this looks like in the real world, we go through dozens of different examples. Um, now, it's, it's a big thing. We do it once a year. Um, uh, it's normally $100 to attend. So it's a $100 ticket price to attend the this sort of week-long live training. Um, but Darius and I are, are good buds and we want to do something special. So if, if you go to the link quizfunnel.com forward slash greatness for the greatness machine, quizfunnel.com forward slash greatness, and you use the coupon code greatness, just as it's spelled, it will take that ticket price down from $100 to zero. So it'll be 100% free. Um, I just ask that you don't share the coupon code. <laughs> it's just for listeners here. Um, but really, this is the best next step. If you're thinking about this and saying, hey, I might be able to use this in my business, or if you're just curious and you want to learn more, this would be the best next step to, to kind of dip your toe in the water, see how to actually use this and um, implement it in your business. Man, you're such a stud. I appreciate you so much. Um, what a pleasure having you on the show. I learned so much. I can't wait to pick your brain some more when we hang out next. Um, thank you so much for hooking up 
our listeners with all this amazing content and uh, amazing knowledge. And uh, man, appreciate you. Appreciate you too, man. It's been an honor, pleasure, and uh, absolutely excited to jam more about your business and uh, everyone here to um, work with you, hopefully, in uh, the workshop right around the corner. Yeah, you guys, uh, you heard it here first, quizfunnel.com forward slash greatness. Coupon code greatness. Don't share it. This is Ryan hooking us up. And um, we'll see you guys later. Peace out. Love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.